Thanks for checking out the First Monroe Podcast. Our hope is that you are restored by the gospel as you live devoted to Jesus. Last week, if you were with us last week, we uh, began a series entitled Resurrected. And uh, my hope is, as we walk through this sermon series, is that we will see how the resurrection actually should be impacting our everyday life. So we kind of said this a little last week, this idea of the resurrection is Easter time. And so we talk about the resurrection. Easter changes everything. But my concern is, and I said this last week, my concern is, is that does it really change our life? Because the resurrection and what we just sang about and what we just celebrate as we think about the communion and all that Christ did for us, like does those truths really impact our life? Or is it just these truths that are just sitting in our heads and we just live with them, but they don't really impact our life? And so this next couple of weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to look at this idea of, and the question that we posed last week and we'll pose the next couple of weeks is this question, what does a resurrected life look like? And so we looked at this idea in Romans 6 last week is that it's a life that is free from the power of sin, that we have been raised to new life. And so the question is, like, if you've been resurrected, if you've experienced the power of the gospel in your life, what should your life look like? So last week we looked at this idea that you are free from the power of sin. So if you take notes this week, here is the main idea that we'll look at this week is what does a resurrected life look like? And it's this. It's a life that is filled with hope. A life that is filled with hope. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, is where we'll be this morning. And so we'll look at this idea of it is a life, a resurrected life is a life that is filled with hope. Now, before we jump into 1 Peter 1, I just want to set this up a little bit. And I just want to just take a quick look at this idea of hope first, and then we'll move into 1 Peter to look at it. So there's a couple questions I want to ask. One question is this, is like, what is hope? Like, we're talking about a life filled with hope. We're going to talk about hope all morning. But the question is, like, what is it? So what, what is hope? Because sometimes it's like, it seems kind of like this just theoretical thing that's out there. But what is hope? So here's the definition. If you look it up in the dictionary, here's the definition that they give for the definition of hope. And it's this, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So what hope is, is this feeling of expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen. So it's this longing for something, this desire to see something. It's also this deep like belief in confidence that I believe or I have confidence that this thing will happen or that I will have a better life or whatever it may be. And so uh, it, it could be this, but, but just biblically and all this idea of like the idea of hope is not just like this like optimism of like I just have this like general optimism about life, but it's something deeper. It's something that drives us. It's something that gives us this, this confidence we put into something that we have these, this hopeful expectation that this thing will give us something, okay? Now, we can talk about this idea of like this is what hope is, but sometimes it's hard to determine like what is my hope in though? Again, it's this same thing that seems sometimes kind of distant of like how do we define this? Now, y'all know I love Paul Tripp. And Paul Tripp, in one of his article I was reading this week, and he gives some helpful things to help us decide or to understand what it is we actually place our hope in, okay? And so here's the way that he lists it, and we'll put them up on the screen if you want to take notes. But he basically says there's three elements that are involved with hope, okay? Three elements that are involved in hope. One is this, is assessment. So here's what, here's what he says. 
that hope begins with assessment, that all of us, every single one of us in this room, all of us are always assessing and placing our hope into something. Every single one of us, no matter who you are, no matter whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, that every one of us, are, we're constantly assessing, like, what is it? And so I'm going to state it. We're going to put up a statement on the screen. And so you may not, like, think of it this way, but here's, I like the way that he puts it. Like, here's what we do assessing daily. Is he says, this is what we do. We make statements like this, a question to ourselves: I believe that I need blank to be satisfied, to be secure, and to be happy. Now, we may not make it that blunt, like in our minds, but we're always assessing of like, hey, what is it that can actually give me security? What is it that can give me satisfaction? What is it that can give me a happy life, a good life, a comfortable life, a good, a successful life? And so all of us are constantly assessing and evaluating like, hey, what is it that can give me security? What is it that can give me satisfaction? What is it that can give me a good life? What is it that can give me success? And so we're constantly evaluating and assessing, hey, what are these things? We do things like money or Jesus or marriage or love or family or career or education or job titles or importance. We're always assessing, saying, hey, what is it that can give me these things? And then that moves to the second element of hope, which is pursuit, meaning after we've assessed, hey, what do we think can give us a happy life, a good life, a better future, whatever it may be, we then begin to pursue that thing. So just for example, if we were to say, if we were to assess that I believe that a career, my career is what will give me a good life, being the best pastor I can be, whatever, if I assess like, hey, this is what can give me satisfaction and this is what can give me a good life or whatever. And so what we begin to do, if we assess that this is what will give me that, then I begin to pursue that. I begin to run after that thing with hopeful expectation that that thing will give me what I want it to give. So that's the second one. And third element of hope is an object. So hope always involves an object. So with hope, I had this belief that someone, something, an idea, an institution will deliver satisfaction, security, happiness, a good life, a better future, whatever it may be. And so hope always involves, you, you, you put your hope into something, whether that's a thing, whether that's a person, whether that's an idea, that there's something we're saying, hey, this is what I've assessed, so it, it always is attached to some type of object. And here's the thing, all of us, every single one of us in this room, we all have hope into something. We all are pursuing something and we're all expecting something to give us satisfaction, a good life, a better future, whatever that may be. That's the first question about what hope is, all right? But second question I want to ask, and then we'll move to our text, is why is hope so important? Why is, here's what hope is, but why is this so important? And let me just, if I can state it for us uh, very clearly, man, hope is a necessity to live. And this is not something that's just like a biblical thing. This is, I actually want to pull this from the secular world and not just start with the Bible, even though we know we always come back to the Scripture. But I just want to start with this, that it's agreed upon, not just what Scripture says, but even our society, secular society, would say, you have to have hope in order to function in this life. So I was reading through a couple articles, and I want you to listen to what it says, because it was talking about the issues of mental health currently that's taking place in our culture today, and the rise of mental health, and the need for mental health, and all these things. And I want you to listen to what this article says. It says this, decades of research show hope is a robust predictor of mental health. Not just does it make life more enjoyable, experts say, but hope also provides resilience against things like post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, and suicide. 
Hope offers chemical benefits too in the form of endorphins and lower stress levels. Things experts say make people more productive. And then the article finishes this way, that psychologists say hope is not a luxury for mental health. Hope is a necessity. That this is this idea of this idea of hope. And so here's what I think is interesting. If you like walked in here and whether you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus, here's the thing, you need hope. And even not just the Bible says this, secular society agrees upon this point that you need hope. And that if you don't have hope to get into hopeless situations or to get into this mode of thinking that things are hopeless, that is a dangerous place for us to be. And people, not only does scripture say that, but even our society says that. That if you get to a point that you don't have hope anymore, that's a dangerous place for all of us to be. And so all of us, and so with that, I think if, if hope is really that important then I think it's really important than what we actually place our hope in. If hope's really, really that important to our life and well-being, then what we place our hope in becomes extremely important. Because here becomes the question, what happens when I put my hope in something and then it doesn't deliver? What if I put my hope in something and it doesn't bring satisfaction, it doesn't bring a better future, it doesn't bring a better life, then what? Because I would think just, just in general... In the world we live in, I think hope is harder and harder to find, isn't it? I I mean, I think that's why mental health is on such a rise and why it's needed so much in our society today is because it seems like more and more people are are hopeless. I mean, just think about our life, right? I mean, I think all of us would agree upon this, is that life is hard and that a lot of things in life that we put our hope in don't come to fruition and a lot of that's very hard. That we live in a world full of pain, we live in a world of, of heartache, we live in a, a world of brokenness, we live in a world of unmet expectations, we live in a world that's full of evil. That sometimes when you can look, is the world getting better or is the world getting worse? And so I think in this idea of like just in just thinking, and that's when I was working through this and thinking through this, this idea of hope, I was like, man, I think hope is becoming, a, like, I think if you were to offer hope to somebody, people would be all ears, because I think everyone's desperate to find hope into something. And I think most of us have had this life experience of I put my hope in things and those things haven't delivered. And so what do I, what do, I do in that sense? And what I find interesting is yet this, this scripture that actually we're going to look at this morning in First Peter. What's interesting is that Peter is writing to a people that he's writing to in this, in this letter that have been scattered from their homes They've been persecuted. They're being persecuted. They're experiencing extreme stress. They've, many of them have lost their jobs. Many of them have a threat of death over their life. Many of them have their families threatened and their livelihoods threatened. Like These are the people that Peter is writing to in this. So I would say this. The situation that the Christians that Peter's writing to are in a very hopeless world and a hopeless situation. But what's interesting that I find super encouraging in this text is that Peter writes to them and says, in the midst of your hopeless circumstance and situation, you can still live a life filled with hope. Isn't that interesting that he writes that? That says, even though your world is shattering around you, even though threats of death are coming against you, in this moment, you can still live a life filled with hope despite your circumstance. I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm all ears. That sounds awesome. Because I think a lot of us in our life, the man, circumstance hit us in the mouth and it's like this thing of we feel hopeless. And yet Peter's saying, even in the midst of that, you can still actually live a life full of hope. So I'm all ears. So let's look at what Peter has to say to us about this idea of hope. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we'll be. And we're just going to look at verses 3 through 5. 
If you take notes this morning, I want to look at kind of the main point that he's bringing about in this text. We'll walk through that, and then there's a couple other things we'll walk through this morning. But if you take notes, here is this main point coming out of this passage, and it's this. That Jesus is the source of true hope. Jesus is the source of true hope. So what Peter is going to say is that if you want true, living, lasting hope that will not disappoint and that will not fail, then we must see that the only true hope comes from the source of Jesus. If you, in your Bible, I want you to look at verse 3, and I want to read verse 3. And here's the way that Peter starts. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, what I find interesting in this passage, Peter actually, before he gets to the whole point of this idea of the resurrection, he actually starts with this, this line. Look what he says in the beginning of verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come back together. Point one, Jesus is the source of true hope, all right? I'm gonna read verse three again. Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, one of the things I find interesting in this passage is that before Peter actually gets to his point to prove of where living hope comes from, it's the resurrection, all these kind of things, he actually starts with praise. So before he even begins, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's almost like this idea of like Peter knows where he's going and so he understands where he's about to go to talk about living hope and the resurrection. And so it's like he erupts into praise before he even gets to his point because it's like he knows, hey, I'm about to, what I'm about to say is so awesome that I'm gonna just go ahead and start with praise first. And so let me just, if I can just, just a side note just for a second. This truth that we're going to look at this morning should cause us to erupt into praise. So, so here, here's what I mean by that. It, the song that we just sang, this idea of living hope, is that if we truly believe that we have a living hope, then we don't just like sit here with our hands in our pockets and we just like are silent. Like the truth about if you really have a living hope, it should result in this idea of erupt in praise. Like this is what Peter, he just, he just starts. He's like, man, b- because he knows what he's about to say, he erupts into praise. Here's a thought that I had that I was super convicting. When is the last time not that you asked God to bless you, but you blessed him? Like one of the things that we do a lot is like, Lord, bless me. Lord, bless my day. When's the last time instead of asking for God to bless me, do I turn around and say, Lord, I want to bless you? And this is what Peter's starting with. In light of this truth, God, I don't want you to bless me. You already have blessed me. I want to bless you. And so this is just just a thought, just to think about is this idea, because this truth that we're going to look at should erupt in praise for us. And what Peter moves into is after he has this kind of just impromptu praise that he results in, he begins to move and he says this, that all of this is according to his great mercy. And so let me just, if I can say this for us in this idea, the reason why you can have a living hope, the reason why all of this is true is this reality, is because of his great mercy for you. Like it's not because you deserved it, it's not because you were a great person, like the reason why you can have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this reality. It is only because of his great mercy for you. It is only because of his love and his grace that he has dispensed to you in the person of Jesus. Like I was thinking about this in, in First Peter. Is This isn't our text, but if you go on to chapter 2, it's this idea where he talks about your chosen race, royal priesthood, all these things. And in verse 10, he says this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so it's this idea of like all of these things. So the reason why you can have hope, the reason why all these things are true is because of this, is because of his great mercy for you and because he has poured this out. 
And so he says this, according to his great mercy, he says, he has caused us to be born again. Now, this word born again, this word here means regeneration. It's this idea of like new birth, new life. So it's very similar. If you were here with us last week, we walked through Romans 6, and it's this idea of identification with Jesus means you have been buried with Christ. Just as Christ died, you died. Just as Christ was raised, you were raised to walk in newness of life. So it's this idea that you are a new creation in Christ, that God has brought about this new life in you and is an act of mercy, is an act of grace in you. He has brought about this new life. You now have new desires. You have a new heart. You have new affections, like all of these things. So he says, you've been born again. And notice this idea of the way he describes this new life that you now have as a result of Jesus and his mercy toward you. He says this, you've been born again to a living hope. So he says this, here is this new life that you have. So if if I just say this in the room, if you're a Christian, you say, hey man, hey, I'm I'm a Christian. I have new life in Christ. And here's the way that he describes your life now. It is a life that is filled with hope. He says, you've been born again. You've been brought to new life in Christ to a living hope. Like this is now the describing factor of your life that you are now a person that is filled with hope because of the work that the Holy Spirit has done in and through your heart by giving you new life. And then Peter moves on into this idea of the reasons why all of these things are possible. And he roots it in this, this reality. It's because of the resurrection. He said, you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection from Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that everything hinges upon this thing. And because Christ was resurrected from death to life, sin and death, our greatest enemies have been defeated. And this is, this is this whole thing that Peter's trying to root all of this in. The reason why you can have hope is it's centered on this one truth that Jesus Christ got up from the grave. That he was resurrected and he defeated our greatest enemy because this was our greatest enemy. And it's this idea of death. And here's what he's saying. Because of the resurrection, you have hope that you will never die. Death has been defeated, and because of that truth, you now can live your life with hope. And so this is why Peter's trying to tell us, like, this is why this is the only source of true hope. I want to go back to this question that I asked earlier. It's this question of, and we're not going to throw it on the screen, but the question that we asked in assessment is, if we believe blank will give us satisfaction, security, happiness. So we may fill that in with money, job, family, marriage, kids, education, friends, stuff, material, whatever that is. And here's just the truth. You can place your hope into anything that you want, okay? All of you, all, me, all of us in this room, we all can place our hope in whatever we want. Here's just the problem, and here's why it can't be a source of true hope is because it doesn't fix your real problem. Here's what I mean by that. Every single one of us are gonna die. I know you're like, man, I'm, that's why I came to church today, to be reminded that I was going to die. Aren't you, aren't you glad you're here? To remind you that you're going to die. But here's just the truth. Because uh, let's just think about this. All of us try to run from that truth, don't we? We try to run from that reality. We try not to think about that reality. We try to do everything to make ourselves younger. We never, we don't want to get to that place. But here's just the reality. Here's a great promise. You will die. And here's the thing. Here's why none of these other things can be a source of true hope. Because they don't fix that problem. Like you can have all the money in the world and it still won't result, like you'll still die. You can have the best family here on this earth and you'll die. You can have a great career your whole life and you're still gonna die. And none of these things change that fact. And so this is why it's almost like this idea of like why if you put your hope 
in anything other than the gospel in Christ, it doesn't actually fix your problem. It's like this elephant in the room. It can distract you for now. It can maybe take your mind off it now, but none of it will prevent your death. But here is what this idea of what he's saying of why Jesus Christ is the only source of true hope is because it actually addresses that problem. It's, it's like this song that we sing that death, for us as Christians, that death is a doorway into resurrection life. That this reality, that just, let's just think about this for a second. As Christians, our greatest thing that every single person dreads has been fixed. It's fixed. Death is, like, and that's why it's in that song. Death's just a doorway. That's all death is. It's a passing into everlasting life forever, to true life forever. And so it's like this idea of what Peter's trying to say is like, this is why Jesus Christ is the only source. This is why it's a living hope. This is why it's because it's all rooted on this fact because Jesus Christ got it from the grave. That's your faith. You will also be resurrected with him. And this is why, again, just saying this, if you place your faith in anything other and your hope in anything else, it will not fix that. But this is the promise of the gospel that it fixes it. That Jesus, this is why Paul at the end of, of 1 Corinthians 15, this is why he makes this statement, death, where is your pain? It's been fixed. So what Paul, what Peter said, basically in this passage is this idea that, that you, your life is now filled with hope because of the resurrection. And then what he does for the remainder of this time is basically he begins to show of this idea of in light of this, here's what the resurrection brings and here's what the resurrection, this hope that it provides for you. So if you take notes, here's kind of the way I want to phrase it. Because of the resurrection, and then we'll walk through two things that he says here. So because of the resurrection, number one, my hope is secure. Number one, my hope is secure. Look in, if you have your Bible still open, look in verse four, look what Peter says. He says that you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So here's what Peter says. All of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been born again to an inheritance. So let's think about inheritance for a second. So typically when we talk about an inheritance, you're typically talking about wealth or resources passed down from one family member to another, okay? The typical recipient of an inheritance the kids, all right? I mean, it could be other people. You'd be like, oh, no, there's other people. Just generally speaking, when you talk about an inheritance, inheritance, who gets the inheritance? It's the kids. Now, the Jewish Christians that Peter's writing to in this sense is they would be familiar with this term inheritance, they understood the term. They understood the way inheritance works. And even in the old covenant, this idea of the Israel's inheritance was this promised land. And so here's what Peter's saying to them. That in light of Israel receiving their earthly inheritance, they received the promised land. In light of that, he says this, so to you as sons and daughters of the king, you have an eternal inheritance that is being kept for you. I think this is, a, this is a crazy thought just to think about, is that because of the new life that you have in Christ, because you are now his son and daughter because of Jesus, you now get that inheritance. Like, that's yours. You get Jesus' inheritance. You are brothers with Christ. Sister, like, like you are the sister of Christ. Like, like, this is this idea you've been adopted into the family, and so now you have this inheritance. And so I want you to notice the way that he describes this inheritance. He gives three different words. I just want to walk through each of them. He says, number one, imperishable. Your inheritance is imperishable. So meaning it's not corruptible or not able to be destroyed. 
So your inheritance that you have in Christ is not, it can't be corrupted and it can't be destroyed. So let me just pose this question, just a rhetorical question. What do you know in this life that can't be destroyed? Everything. I mean, everything can be destroyed. Everything can be corrupted. And here's what he's saying is that because of Jesus and because of the hope that you have, your inheritance cannot be corrupted or destroyed. Second word, he says, is undefiled. Your inheritance is undefiled, meaning it's unstained or it's unpolluted by sin. So I want you to think about this. Can you imagine a place that is not polluted by sin or darkness or evil? That's hard. Life, everything that we see and experience is touched by, tainted by sinfulness, brokenness, all these kind of things. And yet here's what he's saying is that your inheritance is so secure that even sin can't touch it. Or let me just say, this was encouraging too. Even your sin won't mess it up. That's a good thing, huh? Is that even despite sinfulness that we would commit now, that won't even corrupt this inheritance that you now have in Jesus. And so he says this idea that it's undefiled. It won't be, a, your sin won't affect it. And number three, he uses this word, he says it's unfading. Meaning that it won't wither, it won't fade. The Greek here has this image of like a flower that doesn't fade. But here's what we know, flowers do fade, don't they? They do wither. Clothes wear out, clothes fade. I mean, just think about things in our life. Things wear out, things fade, things tear up, all these things. But here's what he's saying, your inheritance will never fade nor diminish. And then he ends it with this, and it's being kept in heaven. So he says all these different things about your inheritance, your your hope is, and the whole point is this idea of your hope is secure. Nothing can affect it or touch it, your own sinfulness, your own, none of that affects it. I was thinking about this idea of security, and I think all of us want security for the future. So I was thinking about this, and it's something that you may, if you've watched the news lately, you, you may have heard about. Have y'all heard about the thing that happened with Silicon Valley Bank? Anybody ever, anybody heard about that? Okay, I'm not going to get into all the weeds of that, because I don't know if I understand all the nuances that took place. But the people thought their money was secure, and it was not. And a lot of people lost a lot of money. I heard a stat that said this, that 92% of all the depositors in that bank, 92% of them were uninsured, meaning that 92% of them had over $250,000 in this bank. Of course, you're like, what a problem to have, you know, that, that I have so much money in the bank that I'm uninsured, right? What, what, a, what a great problem. But, but just think about this, like in this moment, like these people thought their money was and yet in a moment, the thing that they thought was secure was not secure at all. And I was thinking about this whole idea of security because I think all of us, like we run into this thing of, of like, when you think about life, you think about like, like we, we want security. We want things to, to, to know that we're secure. And here's what Peter is saying is that you can be filled with hope right here in your life, like right where you are, right where you're going through, everything that you're facing in your life because the resurrection has done this for you. It is provided to say that your future is now secure. This beautiful truth that he's trying to teach, like right here, right now, like like no matter what you face, no matter what circumstance you're facing now or what you will face, Despite the circumstance you're facing, despite the valleys you walk through, despite all the different things that you work, he's saying this, in Christ, your eternity is secure. Your your inheritance is secure. Nothing can touch it. So here's what he's saying. Like, that's why you can have hope right here, right now, because of those things. Praise God, right? But I think all of us, we want something that will secure us for the future. 
I have secured it. question that I had, okay? That's, that's awesome. My future is secure, okay? But let me go back to this example of the inheritance just to bring about this. So last week I gave this example that for every one of you I deposited. It probably wasn't there this week when you looked in your account. But let's go back to this idea of $100 million, okay? Let's just say that every single one of us in the room that you are going, I'm gonna guarantee that you're gonna receive an inheritance of $100 million, Okay, you're welcome. That's your inheritance. But let's say this, you won't receive it until 40 years from now. Okay, so guaranteed, guaranteed, $100 million. Okay, but, in, but you won't get it till 40 years from now. Okay, here's my thought. That's great. So thankful that someone's passing me $100 million. But 40 years is a long time to wait for that thing, right? That doesn't really help me now. Like, that's cool, that's great to have that knowledge, but how does that actually help me right here, right now with my life? That doesn't help me pay my bills, that doesn't help me pay my mortgage, like that doesn't help my life at all. I'm thankful it's gonna be there way in the future. And I would just say this, I think sometimes that's the way that we think about this idea. It is a great truth that your future is secure, but I think sometimes we have this idea of like, that's great, I'm thankful heaven's there, I'm thankful that man, my future is secure. But what about right now? That's a great truth. But what about hope for right now? Because that seems like a long time away. And I love the way that Peter ends it of this, rooting this back in. And so if you take notes, here's what the second thing is. Is that because of the resurrection, number two, my present is being guarded by God's power. So my present is being guarded by God's power. Look in uh, verse five. Verse five says this. Peter says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So like, I love this truth that Peter is trying to tell us in this moment. It's like, not only is Jesus and God securing your future way down the road, but he's also guarding you and protecting you right here, right now, so that you will receive it, which is to me just a mind-blowing truth. He uses this idea that God's power is guarding you. Here's kind of the image this image of like a fortified city, this idea of a shield. This is kind of this image that he's bringing about. Uh, David captures this idea. I want to read this. This is Psalm 28, verse 7. And here's what the way David says. It says, the Lord is my strength and my shield, and in him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to the Lord. And so even David in this says, the Lord is my strength and my shield right here, right now. And so here's this truth, placing your faith in Christ is it not only means that the resurrection guarantees that your future is secure, but right here, right now, God is guarding you, protecting you, guiding you, sanctifying you, making sure that you get there. There's this uh, ending scene of uh, the, Justice League, the Justice League movie, all right? Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, all the other ones, they've just defeated the enemy, this thread of just world destruction, and of course, Batman and Superman and all of them, Wonder Woman. This quote end, and here's what Lois Lane says at the end. She's kind of narrating, and she says this quote. She says, Our darkness was deep and was soon to swallow up all hope. But these heroes were here the whole time reminding us that hope is real, that you can see it, and all you have to do is to look. And I love that Lois Lane, the way, of course, obviously this is fiction, but it's this idea of he says, like, man, hope seemed to swallow up everything, but the thing that kept hope alive is knowing that there were superheroes here to protect us. 
And the reason why hope was not swallowed is because we had someone here guiding us, protecting us, helping us, which was the Justice League. Fiction, not real. But here's what Peter is saying that is real for us is this truth, is that right here, right now, God is with you, guarding you, protecting you, guiding you through this life in order to make sure that you're going to make it. That he's protecting you and he's saying like, this is what hope is, this idea of like God saying this, here's what's going to give you hope for today is my presence and power with you right now. Yes, your future is secure, but I'm also with you. And I'm going to be with you and lead you. I want to read, this is uh, from Paul Tripp. And I want you to listen to this quote. I was going to try to summarize it, but Paul Tripp says things way better than I could. And I want you to listen. They're going to be on the screen. I want you to listen to the way that Paul Tripp talks about this idea, why this should give us hope. He says, let me state it plainly. Your hope is not found in your willingness or ability to endure but in God's unshakable, enduring commitment to never turn from his work of grace. Your hope is that you've been welcomed into communion with the one who will endure no matter what. Why is this important to us and to understand? Because your endurance will be spotty at best. There will be moments when you forget who you are and live as a grace amnesiac. There will be times when you get discouraged and for a while quit doing the good things God calls you to do. There will be moments big and small when you're willingly rebel. And he goes on to say this, because God will ever be faithful, you can bank on the fact that he will give you what you need to be faithful to. Your perseverance rests on him and he defines what endurance looks like. It is the grace of endurance granted to you by God of endurance that provides you with everything you need to continue what he calls you to be and do what he calls you to do between this moment and the moment you cross over to the other side the weakness of your resolve and the limits of your strength, you do not have to panic because he will endure in those moments when you don't feel like you're able to do so yourself. Now that's a reason to have hope today. Isn't that good news? Because here's just the truth for all of us. We all get discouraged. We all find things that make us cynical. We get apathetic. We lose heart. We get distracted, we fall into sin, we lose hope. I mean, all of us. I mean, because here's the thing. If, if my endurance to the end is, is, is about my ability to endure, all of us are in trouble. But here's what he's saying. That God in this moment is with you to empower you, to strengthen you, to guide you, to sanctify you in this moment to make sure that you will endure. And here's what I got to say, man, praise, like, man, I'm so thankful that my eternity is secure forever, but I'm also thankful that God in this moment is with me, guiding me there. That he doesn't, he, it's not like God just like, hey, good luck, see you in eternity. That's not the way that God is. God says, I'm with you and present with you because of the resurrection. I'm alive in you. I'm, I'm, I'm at the, seated at the throne. I've given you my Holy Spirit and he is here to guide you and direct you all the way home. That's why I live with hope right here, right now. So in light of that, I want to give you a couple just quick things that you can write down of application of in light of these things, what this should propel us to do in our life. And I'll go through these really quickly. If you want to write these down, number one, in light of this, number one is this, to assess where your hope lies. Here's what I, here's what I want you to do. At the beginning, we asked this question. We're going to throw it back up there. And it's a question we asked in assessment. I believe that I need blank 
to be satisfied, to be secure, and to be happy. And here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to, for real, answer that question. Because, I mean, obviously we're at church, we're like, my answer is Jesus. But really, on a functional basis, it's not Jesus, it's family. And maybe on a functional basis, it's not Jesus, it's my health. Maybe on a functional basis, it's money. Maybe it's my career. And so here's what I think has to take place in our life is for us to really assess, like, where does my hope really lie? What is it that I'm really looking to in moments when I'm not satisfied, in moments where I'm discouraged, in moments where I'm unto to make myself feel happy? It may be running to sin. It may be running to things to, well, thank goodness I have a good career. Thank goodness I have a great family. And what can, re- and this is so easy, what can happen is we don't actually run to the gospel to find hope, we run to other things. Start with is this idea of a self. Number two is to turn to Jesus for your source of hope. So, whether this is for the first time ever in your life or the thousandth time, to place your hope in Christ and to understand and to trust him as your source of hope. So it's this, like, I think this is like the point of the whole passage. Like, Jesus is the only source of hope. Turn to him for hope. If you're discouraged this morning, turn to Christ. If you've never placed your faith and hope and trust into Christ for the first time this morning, call out to him. Turn to Jesus for source of hope. Number three, share the hope that you have. Number three, share the hope that you have. So if I can say this, people are desperate for hope. And here's this reality. If you in this room are a follower of Jesus, then here's what we would say. We've experienced where true hope comes from. It would be a shame... For us to hold that to ourselves, And so here's, a, here's what I think. It, man, if your life is filled with hope, the hope of Jesus, then we are to share that. So whether that's your reach one, whether that's with a family member, a co-worker, the person, the attendant at the grocery store. Because here, here's what we've talked about before in our equip class, this idea of like, man, people are, and if you just notice, people are very quickly to talk about men like, you know what, America's just terrible right now. And it's just, you know, they'll just open up and you'll be like, well, you know what, man, I'm so glad my hope's not in America doing great. Man, I'm thankful for that. What are you talking about? Well, my hope's not in how America does. My hope is in Christ. Somebody say, well, you know, my job, I lost my job. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm thankful. I'm thankful I have a job, but if it leaves today, I still have hope. Well, how? It's because of Jesus. And so this reality of, man, if we really have this kind of secure living hope, then we have to share it with other people. That's number three. Last one, number four, is to ask God to fill you with hope. So I think in this moment, I think all of us probably could use a little more hope in our life. As you walked in this room, as you, all of us are facing different things. Things maybe with our health, things with finances, things in our marriage, things in parenting things with friends, things with unresolved conflict, things with disappointment, all these things. And in this moment, I just want you to understand this. I want to read a verse of this idea of if you're in that moment, here's what all you have to do is ask God to fill you with hope. I want to read a passage. Romans 15, verse 13. I want you to listen to the way that he says this. This is the way that Paul puts it in this prayer. This is a great prayer to pray, commit to memory, and I want you to hear what he says. He says, may the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What a verse. May the God of hope, notice the title that Paul gives God in this moment, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Some of you maybe this morning you're like, I don't feel like I'm abounding in hope. And here's what he says. Then ask the God of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit to fill you with that hope so that you would abound in it. It's the same thing we said last week, this idea of of freedom from sin. It's the same thing true. If you were a follower of Jesus this morning, then you can actually right here, right now, live a life full of hope. This is not just like this weird optimism about like... In reality, whatever you're in, because of the resurrection and because of new life in Christ, you can actually live a life of hope. Let's pray.